You want to play games, motherfucker? Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Fractured Skulls. I believe this is 167. Terminator Travis alongside Monoxide. It is Saturday, November 4th, 2023. Today is the official last night of Halloween Horror Nights at Universal. Oh, such a depressing thing. We had so much fun. Oh, yeah. And yes, yes. last. You are right, it is episode 167, so bless your lucky stars, you don't have to retract that statement. It was, like we said, it was a great night, great week to celebrate the Universal experience, and I'll definitely be back next year to celebrate that. I gotta bring yeah. more horror movie t-shirts. Yeah, one thing uh, we forgot to mention in our, when we talked about it last time, is that we rated two professional wrestlers while we were there. Oh, oh yeah, that's right, we did. It was, um... We had just put our stuff into the locker. It was uh, as we were heading into the Hulk coaster. You actually sought them out before I did. And it was uh, John Silver from The Dark Order and Chuck Taylor from Best Friends. Yes, both wrestlers currently on the All Elite Wrestling AEW roster. Yeah, and there were two other individuals. Yeah, that's probably just their personal friends they were with. Yeah, we just go online. I'm like... I'd see a bald guy with facial hair. I was like, damn, that kind of looks like John Silver. And son of a bitch, it was. Which makes sense because AEW is a promotion. Like, you know, how WWE is based in New York or Connecticut. You could theoretically say AEW is based in Jacksonville. Because the cons own the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, yeah, they were right in front of us. You gave them the, the hey, I'm a big fan of yours. And... I remember we get up to the ramp on the whole coaster and they literally sat two rows in front of us. It was just interesting to see two professional wrestlers we've watched on TV, one of which in Chuck Taylor, I've been watching for years and years and years, right in front of us on the whole coaster having a good time. It was just, it was cool. And uh, yeah, I remember you were going to get a picture with them. I being my freaking super shy self, I was just like, if you get it, cool. You asked them for a picture. They were nice enough to get it. And uh, you brought me over. And then I went up to Chuck Taylor. And, I, and the one thing I remember out of that interaction was went up to Chuck Taylor and said, I'm a big fan of yours since Shakara. And he just, it seemed like he was grateful that I wasn't just a fly by night fan. He kind of like smiled. I was like, oh, really? Cool. Like, kind of deal. So he knew that I, I watched him for a while. And I've been a fan of him. Yeah, I tell people all the time. People are like, oh, you know, wrestlers don't like it when fans just go up to ask for a picture. I'm like, no, no, no. There's just a way to do it. You just got to know how to actually approach them and talk to them. Yeah. As long as you don't act entitled. Don't act entitled. I, I, I'll give you a story. Because now that I think about it, it does. Because um, I've had more positive interactions with wrestlers than negative. Um, a couple years back, this is like. Probably a year or two after he got released from WWE. Many of you may remember him. Um, I think he signed to TNA right now, or Impact Wrestling, becoming TNA. Wrestled by the name of Rich Swan. Um, it was Rich Swan and his wife. I think he's still with her, uh, Sue Young. We were at, um, this is a place that we got to take you to when um, the next time you go. There's a place called Rising Star in City Walk. And what it is, it's it's a karaoke bar, but it's not anything like a regular karaoke bar. It's a karaoke bar where a live band plays for you. They play the actual song and you sing it. It's pretty cool. So 
this was a trip where it was just me and my wife. We were sitting there, and it said Rich and Sue. And I had to squint for a bit. I'm like, is that Rich Swan and Sue Young? I was like, flabbergasted. I'm like, what are they doing here? And then I forgot. I think both of them are signed to TNA at that point. So they were performing. They did their song. I don't remember what they sang, but not that it matters. So they finished, and weirdly enough, where we were sitting, we were sitting, like, left side to the stage. They happened to be walking right where we were. And I just happened to not call them out, per se, like, scream to the world, like, hey, it's Rich Swan or Sue Young. More like, hey, Rich Swan, I'm a big fan of yours, because I've always liked his work, too. I always thought he was very talented. And the second that I said, yo, I'm a big fan of your work, he was shocked to know that I was, that I knew him and Sue Young. And they couldn't have been more pleasant. And, and the one thing that I always try to do with talent, and they, it, it always seems to work, I always tell them, listen, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You, I'm glad you took the time to say hello. And the thing I always get whenever I say this to them is they always say, no, not a problem at all. Same thing with Chris Hero. When I met him the first time I went to Orlando to watch Money in the Bank 2013 at a, a bar with uh, our fr good friend Alex. He just happened to be there. And we said hello to him. We talked to him for a bit. And I said the same thing to him. I said, hey, I don't want to take up too much of your time because he was assigned by WWE at that point. And he's like, no, not at all, man. I'm glad. Blah, 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 blah. He was just like you said, it's just how you approach these guys. Don't go up to them while they're eating. Don't go up to them while they're with their families, like just trying to like be private. I think it was, um, wasn't it Ricochet that went on Twitter that basically said, dude, if you see me, come to me. As long as I'm not eating or anything like that, say hi. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just a way to talk to people. There's, you know, there's a way to do certain things. For the most yeah. part, these fans go up to these wrestlers and they shove a toy in their face. Hey, can you sign this? Yeah, I'm not interested. And that's the other thing. Maybe it's just the, the, I'm a different type of fan. I'm not there to get something signed. I'd rather have a picture with the wrestler. Yeah, because me, then I can look. It's, yeah, picture means is more personal to me than an autograph. Yeah. An autograph, I can see if you're trying to sell it. But I'm not there to get something signed so that I can sell it. I'm there because I'm a fan and I want to acknowledge that, hey, I met this person, so-and-so, and spread the good word that they were a chill person. The the two that I can safely say I'm glad I got a picture of and was able to say they were great people when I met them, both of them have passed on, are Paul Bearer and Howard Finkel. I got to get, a, I got to take a picture of both of those guys before they passed away, and it was great. They were both tremendous uh, gentlemen, and I have those photos with me till the day I die. I'm glad to say that I got a photo, and not only that, it's two guys from my childhood, like literally from the time I started watching wrestling. My first ever wrestling show, Royal Rumble 1993. Two guys that were on that show, Paul Bearer managing Undertaker in the Rumble and Howard Finkel doing the ring announcing. That's sentimental to me. So I'd rather have a photo, personally. That's just my opinion. But everyone's yeah. same here. Oh, and um, another thing that you should not do, as much as Sasha Banks may come off like snobbish a lot, the one thing I will agree with her on is the worst time to approach a wrestler 
is the second they get off an airplane, because you don't know how long their flight was. It could have been a 12-hour flight. And they're just getting off this plane that may have been nonstop. That even if it isn't nonstop and they stop somewhere, I've done layovers before. Layovers are not fun. They're taxing. So don't bother them when they're just getting off the flight. Let them breathe. Let them go to the hotel, take a shower, have a nap. Just, as you said, there's a time and place to approach them. That's my opinion. We got some new stories. Oh, boy, we got some hot tea coming from Disney Variety. And for those that are been on the Internet, you know what we're going to be talking about. We're going to get right to it. Let's check, check it out. Before we get into the news stories, I have not seen it yet, and I know you have. Have you seen South Park Into the Pandaverse? Yes, I have. And what are your thoughts? Great. It was absolutely fantastic. So, the episode is, literally, there's two universes. There's the South Park universe, the South Park universe that we all know. And then there's the Pandaverse, where it's literally all minorities there's literally no white people with the exception of uh kathleen kennedy who there's two kathleen kennedys there's the regular kathleen kennedy in the south park world and then from the pandaverse who's just cartman and somehow kathleen kennedy the original one the whole story is is that i i I guess you don't give a shit about spoilers but spoilers everybody there's a weird crystal that she uses to try and pander to all the audiences by trying to promote diversity and all that. And then she gets more hate mail, so she tries to double down and make even more diversity by using the crystal. But in consequence, the Kathleen Kennedy from the Panderverse comes in, as well as Cartman from the Panderverse, who's a black woman. And Cartman in the regular verse goes into the Panderverse. But what's great about this is the Cartman from the Pandaverse is in the regular universe as a black woman. And Kyle, Stan, and Kenny are like, this is bullshit. The real Cartman is just trying to fuck with us. So they go to the principal's office, who's PC principal, <laughs> and they say that this black woman is trying to be Cartman. He's like, I don't see the problem. And in fact, if you have a problem with that, then I'm going to give you three weeks detention. It's literally taking the piss out of Disney and how hard they've tried to pander to wokeness. It's great. I would even say in that little scene, them getting detention, I feel like they, they're even taking a shot at cancel culture. Pretty much. Literally everybody that keeps saying, yeah, I know you're not going to believe this, but this is apparently Eric Cartman. And they're like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. <laughs> Just thinking like as if uh, ign- like there's no difference whatsoever in the two personalities. And literally, because Cartman sees visions in his dreams that everyone's being replaced by women and minorities. And it's it's fucking with him all the time. It's so bad that literally there's um there's a police officer in the show, I forget the character's name, but when they go into the Pandaverse, it's literally a woman with a mustache. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. How was the ending? Because I know the ending, they try to kind of redeem Kathleen a bit. So here's how the ending happens. It goes like this. It's a vicious cycle. Kathleen Kennedy produces a movie where it's all diverse. 
Cartman's the one that wrote all the hate mail because he couldn't stand all of his favorite characters being replaced by uh, black people or women or Asian, whatever the hell. The diversity thing. And Kathleen Kennedy responds with, well, it upset me, so I doubled down. And Cartman said, well, it upset me, so I sent more hate mail. And it was just a vicious cycle from there. But the funny thing is, I didn't mention this. The Kathleen Kennedy of the Pandaverse, who's just Cartman in a woman's suit, this Kathleen Kennedy goes around saying that all the movies that you're going to make, specifically they were remaking Bambi, it's like, as long as they're female and they're gay and they're lame. And then he wanted his female or his, his chicken that, that he was getting from this restaurant, as long as it's female, gay, and lame. Everything had to be either female, gay, or lame. Make it a female, lame. make her gay. Yes. But the episode basically ends with, they're able to find the, the parallel universes. Oh, and th there is a side plot. The side plot is, is that Randy hires somebody to fix his... Um, so he, he's upset that his kids don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to repair anything. So Randy talks about the oven door and the hinges are loose. So it looks like he's gonna teach them how to fix the, the door, but no, he's gonna teach them how to call a handyman to do it for him. So he calls up this handyman and the handyman is always busy because he's getting a bunch of people calling him to fix things. And he's upset because his college degree is worthless and he still owes like $70,000 in student loans. So they all want to go and set up like a, 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 a launcher to launch a rock at the, the college building where they can destroy it for putting them in debt. Problem is nobody knows how to assemble it. So guess what? They got to call that same handyman to go ahead and build it. So literally the episode ends where they're able to get the Pandaverse Cartman back to their universe and that Cartman lands on Pandaverse Kenny, bringing back the old joke. Oh my God, they killed Kenny, you bastard. And yeah, Kathleen Kennedy says, I'm gonna start making original films that are not gonna pander to this. And the guy's like, Bob Iger's like, sure you will, sure you will. So basically what they're saying is that Kathleen, I mean, yeah, they did a bit of little commentary how fans can be over overbearing with their complaints. So they kind of did go after everyone a bit. I mean, I mean, when it comes to South Park, nobody's safe. Right. Well, they they did rip more into the wokeness. Yeah. I will say that they really did rip more into the wokeness. They ripped more into this stupid thing where they're not creating original content. They're only taking content that was successful at one time and just recasting people in different diversity groups. And I think South Park is the first mainstream platform to kind of take a, a shot at modern Hollywood. I think they're the only. So, so far the only, at least, yeah. And probably will be the only. Could be. Trey Parker and Matt Stone have already shown they, they don't give a shit. They're the same people that created an episode where they wanted to take a shot at the whole uh, transgender females competing in male sports. So Strong Woman, who's the wife of PC Principal, is competing in the Strong Women Olympics, and she's about to face uh, this person named Heather Swanson. And they're like, do you think you could compete against Heather Swanson? She's like, listen, all women here are equal. We can fight against each other, and it's a healthy contest. And he's like, are you sure? Have you met Heather Swanson? And she's like, 
What are you saying? That, 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 that she can't compete? Come on. She's allowed to compete. And then when Heather Swanson shows up, it's Macho Man Randy Savage. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to destroy everybody. And she's like, um, good luck, Heather. Luck is for dudes. And just destroys all the females. And then even PC Principal, who's like the real uptight, politically correct person who goes around canceling people and yelling at people for being politically incorrect. Even he starts to get a little bit uneased at the idea of this person destroying all the females. And Heather Swanson looks at him and goes, what are you, transphobe? <laughs> and Principal is like, I'll have you know that I'm one of the biggest advocates of transgenders out there. I can't do PC Principal because he talks so damn fast. And literally the whole episode is he has five children. They're called PC babies. And his fear is he doesn't want his babies to think that he's no longer PC. Because even the babies are PC when they go to the freaking... Um, when they go to the grocery store, they hear one person say, hey, does anybody know where the Oriental Isle is? And the babies start crying like crazy. They don't give a shit. They don't. But over, when did that get released? Last week, that episode, the Pandaverse? Oh, it was within, yeah, within the week. I think this is the only one. Because I know when they did the post-COVID special, it was a two-parter. And I actually was saddened by the ending of that one. Because it really... <laughs> In case anybody didn't know, Cartman, the post-COVID episode is supposed to take place like when they're in their 40s, like 40 years afterwards. And the joke is, is that you know how Cartman hates Jewish people. He always rags on Kyle for being Jewish. Well, the crazy thing is, is that when Cartman's an adult in his 40s, he becomes a rabbi and has three children. And one of them he names Menorah and Lachaim. And... The crazy part is, is that, you know, Cartman's also a selfish prick. And so they have to do something to, to fix the, the space-time continuum because of COVID, because COVID screwed everything up. And Cartman sacrifices his future with his wife and his kids to fix the COVID shit. And he ends up a homeless drunk. It's still an entertaining uh, two-parter. I would definitely recommend it, especially if you remember all the COVID nonsense that came about. Yeah, no one's safe. But ever since they released that Pandaverse episode, a lot of eyes have been on Disney, Star Wars, Kathleen Kennedy, and now Marvel. But we'll get to Marvel in a second. Have you seen Gina Carano's tweet? I have not. What did she say? She responded to a uh, clip where they took from the Pandaverse where uh, they were blaming Kathleen Kennedy for why Disney movies all suck now. And her tweet was, and I quote, she said, this is the part where KK demands any YouTubers get censored off of YouTube for sharing and laughing at this hilarious episode. She'll have YouTube disable the thumbs down option because of the ratio she'll receive. Then she'll have her publishers ghouls make sure Variety and Hollywood Reporter run hit pieces about the South Park creators and their families smearing their names through every useful idiot she has under her thumb who would sell their soul working for Lucasfilm. She'll activate her online mod to, rep to repeat that the South Park creators are racist, bigot, transphobes, and demand the South Park creators publicly apologize by only using words she approves of. And finally, she'll demand they subject themselves to a re-education course of 45 people in the LGBTQ community Zoom call to sit there and listen to how badly they got their feelings over a little bop of a South Park episode. But maybe, but maybe, just maybe, the jig is up. 
Well, the jig is up because with Gina Carano, I believe the majority of what she just said happened to her because she was hired to do uh she was on that show Mandalorian or some shit. Well, yeah, because she played um I'm blanking on the character's name, but but the thing is, she had they had big plans for her for the TV verse of Star Wars. She was gonna eventually get her own spin-off TV series. I mean, uh, John Favreau had a lot of plans for her, and then when she got fired off of that show, that was that was talking about a monkey wrench. I mean, that that was a huge, that was a big blow. They wanted yeah. her in a Zoom call, Skype call, whatever, with like 45 different people who are all representatives of the Alphabet community. And they basically, she had to sit there and listen to all their sub stories on why they got their feelings her <laughs> over the people, Bob. And then she sits your Rogers, take them out to dinner one by one and talk to them instead of sitting in a Zoom call where she's got to get lectured. Wasn't she also reprimanded for that photo that she shared about how in order for Hitler and the Nazis to take over the Jewish communities, they had to create a an aura where people are fighting against each other. Like they're trying to say that the enemy is my next door neighbor. I think that yeah. was also. But yeah, that, yeah. Well, going back to what I was saying. OK, that all happened to Gina Carano because she was hired there and. The one thing we knew about Gina Carano prior to that was that she was an MMA fighter. This is Trey Parker, Matt Stone. They're just going to take, literally, if you throw them into this class, all you're doing is giving them that much more material to work on for their next episode. And trust me, they're going to allow this to run because the first thing that people are just going to indicate is, well, it's South Park. They can get away with anything. They're, they seem to be bulletproof. Them and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia seem to be the two shows that can get away with this crazy, out-of-whack uh, comedy. Because every other thing would get canceled immediately. But South Park, it's like they can do this shit, I guess because it's animated or I guess because they've been on for so long. I mean, yeah, I, even, think I think it's just uh, they've been on for so long. And they, you know, these guys have been around since the 90s, Parker and Stone. And I think that if Mike Judge, I think Mike Judge has pretty much, he's kind of tackled it with Beavis and Butthead, but not really, not to the extent that South Park has. South Park has actually full-blown attacked it, whereas Mike Judge has just made it to where it, it, the, the humor that he's used for his show kind of can get anybody to laugh at it. But with South Park, they fucking went full-blown after it. it, it they try to throw them into a Zoom call with 45 different people of the Alphabet community, they're just going to sit there and and while all that's going down, they're writing in their notepads their next episode. Yeah, they're writing a whole next season right there. Literally. Yeah, you're giving them a whole list of material to, to go after. But um, that's what's happening right now. Uh, Gina made another tweet. She, she uh, replied to a comment from uh, Bonding in the Comics. And the rep it says, report HBO and Max executives created army of troll accounts to target critics of their movies and television shows. Weaponized identity politics. And she responded, and I quote, do you think this behavior of creating boxes was exclusive to HBO Max or that maybe other major studios do this as well? In 2016, I didn't know this, but back to the quote, Bob Iger said Disney was basically inches away from buying Twitter. Well, pulled out of the deal at the last minute saying they did a little more research and said this about Twitter users. We, at that point, estimated with some of Twitter's help that a substantial portion, not a majority, were not real. 
What do you think that substantial portion of fake users grew to from 2016 to before Elon Musk took over Twitter slash X in 2022? How big did the bot armies get? Who were the bot armies created by and to do what? Why buy Twitter and deal with that headache when you could create armies of bots and control the narrative for much, much less money and energy? It does your promoting for you without making it look like you're promoting it yourself. Look, it's popular to all these accounts, strangely liked by a bunch of accounts with no names. It must be good. But what if it was used for something much more sinister? These damn critical YouTubers have too many followers. They are gaining traction. Let's censor them. On top of sending in the fake bot armies just enough to get the yes man and useful idiots on board and rolling. That leads to firing a person who thinks differently because they can't control their voice. Need a reason to fire her? Get this hashtag trending. She Say she said something anti-Semitic when she, is, she isn't at all. Twist the words and hey, as long as it's in the headlines, no, no one will ask any questions. It must be true. I actually told them in an email and over the phone about these bot armies and how they start the negative narrative and then the young kids would join in not realizing they're being manipulated and then websites and small news jump on board to be cool with the kids. And before you know it, you're trending and the Hollywood media devours it. I told them I believed that it was half that it was I, I no, let me read that again. I told them I believed that is what was happening to me. A manipulate a a manipulated mob being used every day to spread propaganda to pr protect the most corrupt. They didn't need to buy Twitter. They just needed to buy the narrative. Why does everyone just laugh at the fact when its suits do something wrong? It's oh, it's oh, how silly of those silly little harmless suits. Instead of the suits being forced to grovel and correct the wrong, they do not. They, they do just like they demand so many others do. It's not like they don't know how to apologize. They wrote the playbook on fake apologies. They've literally destroyed careers and livelihoods to get sympathy pieces written on them, while those who live, those whose lives got destroyed for just having an opinion. That was before its time, or made a mistake and her feelings get destroyed. The action of bot armies is actually a much bigger offense than people are realizing. How many lives are ruined because of Twitter bots canceling them? In defamation lawsuits, you need to have evidence of intent to do harm. Defamation lawsuits are very tricky, especially when you're going up against someone with endless amounts of cash. I would say sending in bot armies to go after people they don't agree with more than qualifies as intent to harm, and I believe a jury would agree. Could it get very interesting if X or current employees came forward with more evidence? Aren't you all sick of the abuse of power? You could sell your soul and still not end up in 1% disbenefits. And who wants to be the 1% anyway when it means betraying humanity and selling your soul? Don't pass this social credit score BS onto the next generation. Artists throughout history are at their best when they're not in lockstep. It's what we love about them. Independent creators get busy and don't get compromised once you climb to the top. Artists at the top, take your leashes off. End quote. Two things. <clears throat> one is a short version or, or short point and one's a longer point. So we'll get to the short point first. When she said that uh, take the leashes off so that you could be an artist, that's why Kid Rock is so outspoken. Because Kid Rock, from what I understand, owns a lot of his own stuff. And I think the same thing with uh, Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins. He owns pretty much all of his music library. So in the case of Kid Rock, he owns all of his stuff. So he's allowed to be more outspoken, which is why you have a song like We The People where it's literally a song of him literally screaming on the top of his lungs, fuck Joe Biden, fuck Fauci, fuck 
um, mass uh, COVID and all that stuff. He's literally calling out all this shit that most of us want to say, but we don't have the voice to say because the strong and powerful voices that have the most ears listening to them are the ones saying the stupid shit like stay at home, mask up. Joe Biden is this great, wonderful person and Trump is the evil orange man. So she's definitely right on that point. You need to create something where you're in control of it. So that way, nobody has the fucking leash on you and tell you this is what you got to say. And actually, let me put a point B to a point A. I'm starting to think the same thing with, um, do you remember backstage interviewer in WWE named Charlie Caruso? Yeah, uh, I don't know her, but I know what she does now. Okay. So I remember... When she was signed to WWE, who's trying to be semi-woke, they haven't, like, fully gone into that direction. But she wore a shirt once that said, why be racist, sexist, homophobic, whatever the fuck it was, when you could just be quiet. And I said to myself, you know, this woman is very pretty, but goddamn, she's a lib. That's what I thought at the time. Like, oh, she'd be one of those, like, we can't talk politics. Well, she started getting deals on ESPN. And she's be- she started to become a sports broadcaster. And I don't know exactly what led to her WWE release. There's rumors that she was always late, this, that, and the other. Whatever, whatever. But point is, she got let go. And she became a sports broadcaster. Over the last six to eight months, I've noticed on her Instagram, she'll be posting shorts of her, and she's completely tearing Joe Biden a new asshole. She's tearing liberals a new asshole. So it makes me wonder, when she was wearing that shirt, was she being told to wear it by a boss? And then when she finally got off the leash, she finally was able to say what she really felt because the only time... I ever saw a liberal talking point was when she was wearing that shirt. But now, now that she's with Fox, she's like passionately going after Joe Biden, passionately going after COVID and and all this liberal nonsense and uh, man is a man, woman to woman deal. So I'm starting to wonder if she's off the leash too and she's able to express her views. Oh yeah, no, she's proven to be on the right side because she shows it all over Twitter. And there are a lot of wrestling fans who are uh, on the left hate her. Fuck them. Anyways, that was my first point. The second point, which is an even more complicated point, was I recently Joe Rogan brought back on Elon Musk. He had Elon Musk on a few years ago, and it was actually his most viewed podcast he ever did on YouTube. This is like way like years ago. This was actually my introduction to Elon Musk in a way. And I know people were kind of like puzzled because anytime you typed in on YouTube, Joe Rogan, Elon Musk, it would never bring you to that video. It would always try to bring you away from that video, which people thought was pretty fucking odd. So Elon Musk The reason he was able to obtain Twitter was because he offered an insane amount of money. I forgot what he offered. Was it like four billion or some shit? It was a ridiculous amount of money 
to where Twitter, the, the liberal Twitter people, they sat there and said to themselves, oh, we don't want to give it to Elon Musk because Elon Musk is a free speech guy. He His talking points sound uh, uh, to the right. I don't really know where he leans politically, but he's definitely not a super fucking liberal. That's for damn sure. But they don't want to give it to him because they want to keep it as this liberal talking point bubble. But by the same token, if they don't accept this deal, this few billion dollar deal that he's willing to give us to buy Twitter, then our stockholders are going to be fucking pissed. They're going to be like, why did you give up this $4 billion deal just to keep your fucking political ideology in line? So they had to sell it because it was going to look bad on them if they didn't because of the stockholders. So when Joe Rogan approached him on the latest podcast, asking what prompted you to buy Twitter and rebrand it as X, his main talking point, and he's 100% right on this, is that Twitter was becoming too dangerous because it was becoming a talking point for one party he did all the data analysis once he actually got twitter and noticed that there were so many uh right-leaning people being banned off of the website for not even committing said act that they have as their rules that you cannot commit but then there are liberals who are completely overstepping that point or stepping those rules that you're not supposed to do, and they're completely off scot-free. He said, the, the thing is, is that most people will go to the, the point of, it was a private company, they can do what they want. I think that becomes null and void when a private company has the ability to, uh, to sway elections. Because we're not talking about a company that's just a social media t- company that makes money selling advertisements or whatever. We're now talking about a company that can actually sway political elections and could alter the future of our country. That's when it becomes different. Walmart being this conglomerate or Amazon being this conglomerate does not alter political elections. But Twitter was able to because that's where the source of information was being shared on. And information such as Trump and the January 6th insurrection that happened. Remember that? Everybody was sharing it. It was the worst thing that happened. Worse than 9-11. Yeah. Fucking (laughs) Fucking receive a fucking shot of semen in your eye if you fucking think that. (laughs) Then you've got these fucking people like literally losing their shit. And and, you could call me crazy. I'll I'll accept that title. But I've never heard somebody where when the insurrection happened, he came out of the woodwork, made a video telling his supporters, listen, I agree this election was stolen, but you need to approach it with peace. Do not attack anyone. Do not hurt anyone. Go home in peace. You need to leave in peace. And people interpret that video as inciting violence. Is this opposite day from SpongeBob where he says one thing and we're supposed to react another way? Am am I going crazy? But anyways, the point I'm making is we could share that and then ban who was the 45th president of our country off of the platform 
because he incited an insurrection. But meanwhile, a very important story, such as Hunter Biden's laptop, which had very important information that could have enlightened people on how crooked the Bidens are. They were suppressing this purposefully. They were told to suppress this fucking story and it never got out there. You had to go and fucking search for it yourself because Twitter was doing everything in their power to make sure that this story never got out. Because it's fake news. Fake news. How about let the viewer decide if it's fake news or not? So that's why Elon Musk bought X. Or he well, bought Twitter. That, I, I know he said in other interviews also because of his son, his trans daughter. Ah, must be identified as girl. All because he because he says his daughter got corrupt. His son got corrupted by either Twitter or TikTok. It was one or the other. And well, yeah. he, has no, he has no relationship with his child because he's rich and rich people are evil. And, and that's the other thing. Like I used to have that mindset that all rich people are evil, but like every rich person has a different philosophy. But you would think that Elon Musk would be the American dream because. He was an immigrant. He's not from here. He's, I think he's South African. He came here and followed the American dream and became a fucking, a multi-billionaire creating Tesla. Luckily, he bought Twitter because, yes, I agree, Twitter was becoming a liberal cesspool. And it was annoying going on Twitter every fucking time to see somebody posting a rational tweet. And liberals completely going after that person. And then a liberal's posting their stupid liberal talking point, And then all the liberals fucking sucking every last bit of fucking semen seed from that person. Regardless if they're male, female, dog, cat, uh, furry, beavis, butthead, bee-boo, bop. Give me a fucking break. It, it's, it got so annoying. So... I'm glad he bought it because X has been way better off because now you're starting to see a more diverse opinions across the board, whether you like them or you don't. Yeah. I mean, in Twitter or X, I don't, I don't care about the X rebrand. You just kept it as Twitter, but whatever. Um, played a big role in the whole Bud Light thing and the whole right. Bud Light boycott. Yes. Now X is available for everybody. It's not just like one side this was a point i wanted to bring up earlier and it just escaped me because we were constantly going back and forth with x but there was a podcast because the original owner of twitter was jack dorsey who crazy enough i think he was originally from mississippi but of course he's a fucking bleeding heart liberal it's let's just face that fact he's a bleeding heart fucking liberal and he was brought on joe rogan's podcast it was just him and joe rogan and the podcast got a lot of heat. Nobody liked it because they felt like Joe Rogan wasn't asking Jack Dorsey the tough questions. Like, why did you ban this guy? Why are you banning this people? Why are you? is your platform politically only on one side? So Joe Rogan wanted to make a, 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 a redo of the podcast. And, he, and to Jack Dorsey's credit, he was willing to come back on. But this time, Jack Dorsey brought in one of his suits, as we just said i think she was a lawyer for twitter and joe rogan decided to bring on somebody more educated on the subject and he decided to bring on you may know him tim pool so if you know anything about tim pool he leans liberal but he's not going to sugarcoat shit and say that 
he's going to say, like, liberals are being completely whacked out. They're out of their minds. But anyways, Tim Pool, the way he addresses points, he's very direct. He speaks pretty quickly, and he's very direct. And he's very blunt. Every time, he kept ripping into the lawyer because he would be like, you're... you're the way the podcast is structured for the three hours, Tim Pool is literally like saying, your, your platform is literally only for one party in general because it only aligns in one direction based on how your rules are. And they're like, well, give us an example. All right, here's an example. Look at the uh, the trans thing. There's people who identify as trans and they're only a minority group in the whole entire world. But yet you say that your rules are supposed to protect them. But certain tweets such as I think that a man is a man and a woman is a woman breaks that rule of the transgender thing and you'll ban them, which is what the majority of people think. So it's clear as day you only align one way politically and you'll ban the other just for thinking the other way. And if you actually watch it, the suit just acts like a suit. She just she never answers anything directly. She always gives long winded answers that don't answer anything. She actually sounds like a customer service agent that couldn't care less about your opinion, just says, oh, we'll take your opinion into consideration. Yeah, here, here's something to take into consideration. Take one fucking hard dildo up your ass. Hey. I don't really mean that. Shut the fuck up. It's just, it's my way of coping with the idea that these people really act like they have no souls. They act like robots. I'm so glad. I don't give a shit what anybody says. I'm so... Thank Lord. (laughs) Oh my Trump. Thank Trump that freaking Elon Musk bought Twitter. Because Twitter has been much better off. I still don't use it that much, but at least it's been much better off. We're much more easily digestible. Well, you know, since the uh, aftermath of the Pandaverse episode, Variety has released an article uh criticizing the recent decisions everything that's been happening with marvel since post endgame i mean some people have said one thing they wish that episode would have done with they would would have gone after kevin feige and marvel studios they felt that the whole kathleen kennedy i mean a lot of it that was said in that episode was nothing new people have been saying for years but hey i guess better late than never right let me ask you this i don't know how much of a marvel movie watcher you were do you think that they should have at least taken a break from Marvel movies after Endgame? Oh, absolutely. They should have taken a break for several years. Make make people miss the brand. Because think about okay, this. How can I miss you if you don't go away? Somebody made a video. I can't remember what it was. I don't know if it was a video you shared with me or if I found it myself. It was talking about Star Wars. They actually said that there was more interest in the Star Wars franchise in the year 2007 than they are today. And in 2007, there was no Star Wars mainline movies being made. It was pretty much a dormant brand by that point. But there was more interest in Star Wars in 2007 than there is today. And they have way more content being pumped out. Because I'll I'll bring this to an old thing that I brought up to somebody when we were discussing who do you prefer, Tupac or Biggie? Now, don't get me wrong, I like both artists. I think I, I, I love both artists' music. 
I prefer Biggie for one specific reason. Tupac's got a lot of stuff. Biggie's only got four albums, one of which was released when he was alive. One was released right after he died. And two were, uh, I always pronounce this word wrong, so you can correct me, but posthumously, I think that's how it's pronounced, released. He only got four albums. Tupac's got way more than that. It's better to have four albums, but they're all great, as opposed to 12 albums, but only three or four are great. Look at Nirvana. Nirvana's only got three full-length albums and a compilation album. Nirvana's literally my top five favorite bands of all time. To this day, even 30 years after the band literally had to break up because their lead singer died, people are still walking around the streets wearing Nirvana shirts. Kids, Gen Z are listening to Nirvana's music because of how great their music was. So going back to the whole Star Wars thing, they're pumping out all the Star Wars stuff, but it's all shuffleware. Same thing with all these Marvel movies. I couldn't get into the Marvel movies because there was too many of them. I think that's the problem with wrestling right now. There's just too much wrestling going on. Instead of it being a two-hour show one day a week, we've got like three or five different shows, and they're all three hours a week or three hours per show. And then the pay-per-views are like five hours. It's it's oversaturation. Less is more. Yeah. Billy Joel said the same thing to, uh, I think he was on Lena. Billy Joel has released an album since 93, and he's like, I don't need to anymore because... I could just go on tour with those musics I made back in the 80s, and I could live off of that for the rest of my life, the rest of my career. And yeah. uh, he said, yeah, Alan John's like, why don't you release more albums? And I tell Alan John, why don't you release less? Here's Okay, here's a perfect fucking example. The Beatles. The Beatles are the most iconic band ever. The most iconic band ever. It's indisputable. And I said band, not singer, because, yeah, you could throw in Elvis, you could throw in Michael Jackson. They are the most iconic band ever. Now, technically, they were around since 1960, but literally their run in the mainstream as a an active band was from 1964 to 1970. That's only six years. That's less than most musical acts. Way less. Yet they still dominated the music world, and to this day, everybody talks about the Beatles. To this day, still, literally, there's endless amount of Beatles material made to this day. And their run was literally six years. Because by 1970, they did all that they could. Their albums were universally praised. They went through many different phases in their six-year career. They went from being a boy band to literally a fucking psychedelic band so it was like what more could they prove so they went off and did their solo work paul mccartney went and did wings john lennon became a solo artist and sort of a duo artist with yoko ono george harrison did some work i'm not sure what uh, ringo did the only thing i know ringo did was he played mr conductor in shining time station for the english version and george carlin did the u.s version point being is that the beatles had a six-year run that's very short. And they still are talked about to this day. Hell, an even lesser extent, there's a band or was a band in the late 90s called New Radicals. They're known for one hit. You get what you give. 
That song is still played to this day. In fact, that song was played for fucking Joe Biden's inauguration. But <laughs> the point is, that song is still played to this day, 20 years after it was released. And literally, New Radicals only have one one album. Or how about The Buggles? They only have like one or two albums. They're still known for Video Killed the Radio Star. Yeah. The point we're making is you can make as much material as you want, but if you're making 15 films, let's just say, and only three of them are universally praised, it's like, what are you doing? You don't need to make that much. Remember at one point when the mainline Star Wars films, there was only like six of them? After 2005? Now, you're going to get people who hated the prequels. I'm not one of those people. I thought the prequels were fine. Never hated them. But now you got the new sequels, which are universally panned by at least audiences. Then you've got Rogue One. Then you've got that Han Solo solo film. Then you got Mandalorian. Then you got... Uh, it's too much. Yeah, you can't even name them all. Ahsoka, uh, Andor, and that's not including the animated stuff that they have on there. And that's not including the video games. Battlefront, Fallen Order. Yeah, I hear the video games are good. The video games, well, Battlefront was not praised. Battlefront, well, that was more of an EA problem. That wasn't a Disney problem. That was EA trying to freaking uh, pork and dime their customers by using microtransactions. So let's, I'll give Disney a pass on that. In fact, it was Disney that got real mad at freaking EA for doing that. And they put pressure on them to hold off on the Because the, the controversy was in Star Wars Battlefront 2. Somebody did the math and said that in order for you to unlock Darth Vader and play as him... This Battlefront's supposed to be like like a Counter-Strike where you could just go thrown into a map, play as a Star Wars character, and just battle people with so uh, lightsabers or stuff like that. But to play as Darth Vader, you literally have to play 100 hours of grinding. And it was like, yo, that's a little too much. And EA said something along the lines of, well, we want our, our customers to feel accomplished when unlocking him. And that got real panned to the point where Disney had to step in and be like, yo, you, no, you guys fucked up. Now, EA hasn't stopped with the microtransactions because that's where the bread and butter is, unfortunately. But, well, as I mentioned, you know, Marvel's in a, is in a messy situation right now. They have many issues going on right now. One of them being Jonathan Majors. Yeah. Here's, here's a little uh, line I have highlighted here from the Variety article. And I quote, everyone at Marvel was reeling from a series of disappointments on screen. A legal scandal involving one of its biggest stars and questions about the viability of the studio's ambitious strategy to extend their brand beyond movies and the streaming. The most pressure issue to be discussed at the retreat was what to do about Jonathan Majors. Uh, Jonathan Majors right now, he's in a, what do they call it, domestic violence uh, yeah, uh, charge he has against him. Uh, he's also going on trial, I believe, in late later November. I personally, me, I'm one of those. I believe, you know, innocent till proven guilty. But uh, as of right now, he's supposed to be the new big baddie for the universe. He's supposed to be the next Thanos. He plays Kang the Conqueror. He was introduced at the end of Loki season one. He was in uh, Ant-Man 3. He got his ass kicked in both of those series. So, I mean, I don't know how that's going to work out. You're supposed to be the big baddie over here getting your ass kicked. But, um, 
Yeah, right now Marvel has all their eggs in the Jonathan Majors basket, and they don't know what to do with him because he has his big scandal on him right now. As of right now, they just finished season two, and they're really in a fucked up situation because of the way season two of Loki ended. Apparently, I think it sets him up, uh, Kang, to be like, really, they put him in a position where like he's the big baddie. So like, how can he be stopped? Well, I'll tell you how: legal problems, the justice system. Funny how, I know this is two different companies, but funny how if Jonathan Majors gets accused of some shit like this, they're already thinking of distancing themselves from him when he's a big-time player. But yet, it never affected Ezra Miller. I was, <laughs> was going to say, he hasn't reached the levels of Ezra Miller yet. I wouldn't put him there because, again, innocent to proven guilty. But, I mean, the, the lawyers at the beginning, they made it sound like this was like, oh, this is nothing... You know, this is this is just walking apart, but and they said they're going to release the footage because it was apparently recorded and the footage never got released. Yeah. Well, they again, keep, they keep saying he's the victim. This is a one incident occurrence, whereas Ezra Miller's got like a shitload. And, and here's the worst part. This is the even bigger problem, at least with Jonathan Majors. I, I know this probably really doesn't matter in the long run, but at least with Jonathan Majors, he's playing the bad guy. So if you find out that the bad guy is doing a bad thing outside of the realms of acting, that's one thing. Ezra Miller is playing a superhero in The Flash. He's supposed to be a representation of good, and yet one of his scandals is, wasn't he fiddling with a minor, apparently? Something like that, yeah. He was doing a lot of crazy shit. Doing a lot of real bad shit, and he's supposed to be playing a hero. By the way, what's that Flash movie doing these days? Oh, who the fuck cares? <laughs> Remember that movie? At least Marvel had a run. DC never had a real proper run other than the Nolan Batman films. Yeah, talk about, you know, should they stop and should they stop for the next several years and just not make anything? F fucking DC would really benefit from that. Well, the problem is DC, they only know how to make Batman. Batman seems to be the only movie that they've gotten right other than Justice League. The Snyder I, Cut, yeah. Yeah, because the Robert Pattinson film I thought was good. A little long, but good. So I, I was satisfied with that. I didn't leave the theater like, oh, I'm pissed. I, I did leave the theater thinking it didn't need to be three hours, but it was fun. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I personally think they shouldn't talk about distancing themselves until all the evidence is laid out and they have a firm conviction that he is guilty of his crime. Wait until yeah. he's actually guilty before you decide to say to yourself, OK, we got to distance ourselves from him. Yeah, and uh, another quote here from that article: uh, The actor insists he is the victim, but the damage of his to his reputation and a chance he could lose the case has forced Marvel to reconsider its plans to center the next phase of its interlocking slate of sequels, spinoffs, and series around Majors' villainous character, King the Conqueror. Look, as of right now, don't film any more scenes with Jonathan Majors. I'm pretty sure they didn't. Um, like I said, his case is later in the month. Let's just wait and see what happens. If he is guilty. I mean, they're doing a whole multiverse saga. They could always write around that. I mean, he could always, someone else could always be him from a different universe. They always cast another actor. I mean, I, I think this is kind of an easy recast. I don't really see this being a major problem. So, um, we'll just have to wait and see when it comes to that. 
I guess. But yeah, I think they shouldn't act all hastily, but they probably will. Have you heard about like the budget for their streaming shows? Had a budget. The Disney Plus series had a budget of $225 million for eight episodes. Half hour each. That's not fucking insane. So they spent $225 million to send a message of I am woman, hear me roar and twerk on camera. Yes. Each episode had a budget of $25 million. What was the budget for The Crow? They didn't even have that much money? Bill Skarsgård? Uh, Brandon Lee's movie. Brandon, well, hold up. That's, that's, you're talking about 1994. 1984, the budget for the movie was 23. Wow. They had more money for one episode than the entire movie of The Crow. That is crazy. They had more money for one episode than the first John Wick movie. It's... The thing is, is that we're comparing apples and oranges here because the, you're talking about Miramax in 1994 and comparing it to Disney of 2022 where they were trying to buy everybody. They almost fucking bought Twitter. Oh my God. Thank our lucky stars that didn't happen. Because could you imagine if they bought Twitter, how much more woke it would be? And now we're reaching to a point where it's starting to be revolted. I, I remember Quentin Tarantino saying in uh, in Joe Rogan's podcast that this was in reference to when he was doing Reservoir Dogs. And they said to him, because he was talking about political correctness, talking about how the 50s was politically correct and then the 60s kind of broke that barrier. And then the 80s was politically correct. And then the 90s was like a big fuck you to the 80s. And he's like, right now we're living in the 80s and the 50s, and we just need that next thing to come in and say, fuck you. So his reference was, well, the people that kept saying, oh, they won't allow you to do that, he would always respond with, well, who's they? Because the one thing he was told was when he did Reservoir Dogs, he said that... um, they wanted him to remove the scene where he cuts the cop's ear off, where Mr. Blonde cuts the cop's ear off. Because without that scene, anybody can watch this film and enjoy it. But the second that that scene airs, women are going to be repulsed and not want to watch it. And younger audiences may not want to watch it. But he said to Harvey Weinstein, I think it was the guy who told him about that scene. He's like, well, that's the scene and I'm not getting rid of it. And Harvey Weinstein just basically sat there and said, okay, uh, you could keep it, this, that, and the other. And then he kept it. But I got his point, but he was saying this at a time when there wasn't really a real rebellion yet to this woke bullshit. So when he kept saying, we just need that next thing, it's like, yeah, but these people get canceled whenever they have a chance. Now we're starting to see the rebellion. We're starting to see the people saying, fuck you to this shit. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully the South Park, uh, the Pandaverse, is kind of a start to that to get this ball rolling. Well, technically, that wasn't the thing that started it. I would say the first seeds planted was the Joe Biden hatred. People started hating Joe Biden once he got in, 
But I think the real first mega blow was Bud Light. Bud Light was actually the first time that wokeness really got a wake-up call. And we're told, fuck you, we ain't taking this anymore. Then Target follows suit. So, we're starting to see it now. We're starting to see how wokeness is not making any money. And we're starting to see revolt. And I'm glad. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were talking about Marvel. I mean, we got the Marvels, which is going to be opening up next weekend. And apparently the budget they spent over $250 million dollars possibly more freaking shooting reshooting this whole freaking disaster and uh and i have a quote here from the article uh the marvels which opens in theaters november 10th will struggle to get the ball past the infield at least by marvel's outside standards the movie which cost 250 million and sees brie larson reprise her role as captain marvel is trying to open a 75 to 80 million far below the 185 million doctor strange and multiverse of madness took it domestically in its debut weekend last year well, that's going to hurt their girl power feelings. Well, yeah, because, again, with all this stuff, the, as we said in previous podcasts, the issue is is that we're not creating women superheroes because we came up with a concept on the script that makes a female superhero interesting, such as Sarah Connor. And I know she's not a superhero, but she's a character that, from the first movie, was a damsel in distress, and by the second movie... She was a hardened person who saw the future and was willing to fight. So Sarah Connor in the second movie, she was a much, very interesting character. But when you're just creating characters for the sake of it, even original pieces, which I'll give you credit, if you're doing an original piece, more power to you, at least you're doing something original, as opposed to just taking like Superman and making Superman into a transgender. But... If you're creating original content, that's one thing. But when you're creating the content for the sake of it, saying we just need to have a female, we need to have somebody who's black, we need to have somebody who's Asian, we need to have somebody who's trans, that's when you lose the people. That's when they feel like there's no real script here. It's just pandering for the sake of pandering. goes all the way back to, as we used to talk with the comic books, kids don't want to be insulted where... You give them Kitty Superman as the book that they read. No, they don't want to read Kitty Superman. They want to read fucking Superman. Give them Superman. Don't give them. Don't insult their intelligence. And and the other thing too is that when you have non woke women, they're gonna look at like some of these female superheroes and repulse themselves into thinking that they're getting their intelligence insulted. It's like, well, because I'm a female, you gotta cater to me as a female. How about just give me something interesting? Sometimes I'm a, the females want to see a big, burly, action male star. We haven't had that in a while, have we? No, we have not. Other than the Expendables, but that's because it's a bunch of old guys that are just, like, there to have fun. Yeah, uh, another quote here from the article, directed by Nia Kastasa. I hope I said that right. The Marvels unites Larson's hero with two superpowered allies. Tayona Paris's Monica Rambeau introduced in the 2021 Disney Plus series WandaVision, and Iman Vellani's Kamala Khan, first seen in 2022 series Miss Marvel. But instead of seamlessly building on a success of Captain Marvel, the movie resulted in four weeks of reshoots, I would say even probably more than that, to bring cohesiveness to a tangled storyline. So are you telling me that you have, they spent $250 million dollars 
on a script that wasn't even fully ready to go? Does this surprise you? No. <laughs> this is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And and there's more. Then eyebrows were raised again when Takasa, the director, began working on another film while the Marvels were still in post-production. The filmmaker moved to London earlier this year to begin prepping for her Tessa Thompson drama, Hata. Takasa, her only film she's only done before this was the crappy Candyman remake movie. And people, and they keep passing off that that was a, that was like a hit. The movie didn't even make a hundred million dollars. I think it was made like at a budget of maybe 20 million and it made back, I think 70. It wasn't, it wasn't a flop, but it was nowhere uh, a summer blockbuster that it was supposed to be. It was a film that just kind of came and gone. Well, didn't we talk about how only one Disney film seemed to have made a profit this year? Yeah, I think that was the Guardians. The Guardians 3, which uh, made, I believe, 875 worldwide. Now it's because it was made by a you had a you had a filmmaker, James Gunn. That was his final film before he went off to go to go work for DC. And the Guardians were first introduced, what, about a decade ago. So they were part of the original crew of sorts. Right. They were almost like the last of that era, you could say. So the director, it seemed like director knew, Takasa knew this shit is a fucking mess. And figured, you know what? Let me put an ocean in between me and this movie. So basically, she she pulled a Roman Polanski. It was like, let me put an ocean here so that they don't bother me. Listen. <laughs> it's, it's a broken record at this point. Because, like, in the end... Disney is either going to fucking learn their lesson and and dig themselves out of the hole, or they're just going to double down. And if they double down, wh- wh- what are we to say? They want to dig their own ho- uh, grave and and they want to dive head first into it. The problems are inevitable. The problems are are easily solvable, but they don't want to solve because. It's not like Disney's incapable of creating great stories because they have in the past. It's not impossible. It's is it that credit company, the credit score company that's forcing them to do this? Maybe. I don't know. But it's not out of the realm of possibility to get themselves out of this. They just don't want to. Yeah, it's like this, you know, they dug their own grave. You know, they made their sandbox and their sandbox has so much cat shit in it. They don't know how to dig themselves out of it. They don't know how to clean this up. I mean, we already mentioned the problems with She-Hulk. To the point, even with She-Hulk, they didn't have a finalized script. I mean, the She-Hulk by... Uh, I'm reading here that um, everything is done so last minute. Like, they keep making changes there. We just mentioned the Captain Marvel post-production. That's why a lot of the FX people who, who do all that want to start a union. Because they feel like this isn't fair. They do all the effects for this episode, and then right before, and then they're told last minute, oh, wait, we're changing things, so you need to go back and fix the effects for that. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's why a lot of people complain about the CGI in these films, because it just feels like everything just looks almost like half-baked. Half-baked and undercooked, as it's quoted here in this article. Yeah, uh, well, I haven't seen a lot of the Disney films, because it's just, it's too many. And it's too many, and the quality doesn't really match up, especially right now. You did make mention that a lot of these movies are just like, they're, they're pumping them out, and they're not making any money, and they're just pushing the message. So it's, who the fuck cares at this point? Yeah, this, you know, put a chicken and make her gay. Chick, yep. gay, doesn't need no man. 
Yeah. And then that takes us to Blade. We covered Blade on this podcast. In fact, I remember talking about it a year ago. They lost their director. And they were right. having a lot of script problems. Well, it's been a year later. How are they doing, Monoxide? Well, not much has changed. Ma Ali was on the verge of quitting had they not gotten their shit together. Honestly, I think he should still quit. He is an acad- He is a two-time Academy Award-winning actor. The guy went to Marvel saying, "I want to be a. I want to play Blade. I want to be a badass." The guy just wants to have fun. He doesn't need this at the end of the day. Okay, it's almost like he's going out of his way for them. Right. So at one point, they they went through two directors and going through about five to six different screenwriters. At one point, the script was centered on Blade's daughter. Oh, great. Why? Why? And I guarantee you she's going to have pink hair. And be gay. And be gay. And then another uh, script idea was that Blade there was going to be Blade was going to be surrounded by four females, and he, Blade was going to basically be like the fourth person behind line in his own movie. He's going to be fourth in line. No wonder the guy wanted to freaking quit. Here's here's a quote here from the article. Case in point, the Blade reboot with Mar- Marshala Ali signed on for the role of a vampire. Things look promising in twenty uh, for a twenty twenty three release date. But the project has gone through at least five writers, two directors, and one shut down six weeks before production. One person familiar with the script uh, says the story at one point morphed into a narrative led by women and filled with life lessons. Blade was relegated to the fourth lead. A bizarre idea considering that the studio had two-time Oscar-winning Ali on board. Uh, reports that Ali was ready to exit over script issues. Feige went back to the drawing board and hired Michael Green. The Oscar-nominated writer of Logan to start anew. Speculation around town said the studio is looking to make the film now slated for 2025 on a budget of less than $100 million. A deviation from Marvel's big spending strategy. What are we doing here? Four women life lessons for a Blade movie? I guarantee you all those women would have been gay. You know, would have been diverse. You would have had an Asian one in there somewhere. Can I... Putting up an example, it's going to sound completely out of left field, but there's a point to this. Does anybody watch the show Arthur? To anybody who has not watched it, it's one of the longest running PBS shows ever next to Sesame Street. I would say Sesame Street is the longest. So that's been running since 69 and Arthur kind of ceased operations like a few years ago. But for an animated series and on PBS, it ran for a pretty long time. The show follows uh, an aardvark. It's all animals that live like humans. You got bears, like Binky. No, Binky, I think it's like a bulldog. You got bunnies, like Buster and all that stuff. Arthur lives a very placid life as an eight-year-old, living the normal life. He's got parents, and he's got two sisters, one of which is D.W., and I forget the the baby's name. That it matters, because she doesn't play a part in what I'm about to say. So, the relationship between Arthur and D.W. is the typical sibling bullshit. Where it's constantly these two siblings that always argue, because they're close in age, and they're young. They're like, he's supposed to be age, she's supposed to be four going on to five. And of course, D.W. is vastly annoying, because she's four or five, and She's that type of character. Now, 
There's one episode in particular in Arthur that gets critically panned, but it was also memed to death. So the episode is, I think it's called Arthur's Big Hit. I think that's the name. I could be 100% wrong, but I think that's the name. The episode is, the premise is, Arthur creates this model airplane. And literally, it's a model. It's meant to be built, painted, and then after it's done, admired that you put so much work into it. Cool. Well, while he's making it, DW thinks it's a plane that you could play as a toy, that you could fly around and you throw it and it flies in the air. So she's constantly like, I want to play with the plane. He's like, no, you can't touch it. You can't touch it. It's a model. It's not meant to fly. This, that, and the other. And he says this several times to reiterate. So Arthur finally finishes the plane. He finishes fixing it. It's a model, blah, blah, blah. Leaves it in his room. So he leaves his room to go downstairs to do something. I forgot. So DW sees the plane. Now, keep in mind, Arthur told him sev- told her, I misgendered DW, oh my god. DW, DW saw the plane, and even after being told not to touch it, she goes ahead and grabs it. Now, she's doing the usual, she's holding the plane, going, like, like playing it like as if it's flying. And then, keep in mind, it's like a two-story window that she's looking out from his room. And it's a little windy. So she looks out there and she's like, hmm, I got an idea. So she takes the model airplane and throws it out the window. Now, obviously, it's a model airplane. It's just going to fall. So it fell, breaks, and smashes into smithereens. Now, this is where the episode gets lost on people. So DW breaking the plane... Keep in mind, Arthur has no idea the plane is broken yet. DW walks down and goes up to Arthur and says, Arthur, you made that plane all wrong. It didn't fly at all. Arthur responds, what are you talking about? I made it just fine. And when it it just dawned on him when he's like, oh, my God. So then he runs out and sees the plane completely fucking destroyed. And she's like... There's planes that can break the sound barrier. I mean, at least this plane could have flown. He responds with, I told you not to touch it. And then she's like, you made it all wrong. It's not my fault that you can't build a plane that can't fly. It's not my fault that the plane was so poorly made that you can't fly. And this is where, I'm sure you've seen it, the big meme with Arthur's fist falling up. That's where that uh, meme comes from. It's from this episode where his fist gets all balled up. He starts getting super angry and super furious and says, literally screams at her, I told you not to touch it! And then fucking punches her. She runs, well, she pauses for a couple seconds, then she runs crying, and then the parents reprimand him. And then he goes and says, because they told him, you got to apologize. And he's like, why? She brought, like, because they think that she, he hit her for no reason. He's like, no, she broke my model airplane, this, that, and the other. And they wouldn't listen to him. And at one point, he retorts by saying, 
it doesn't seem like you even give a shit about what she did to me. And the only reference they made into DW's wrongdoing is, we'll deal with her later. But what you did was wrong too. So, fast forward, the episode pretty much ends with Binky, who's kind of like Angelica. He's kind of a bully, but he's not irredeemable. He has more good sides to him than bad, but he can be a bully at times. Same thing with Harold from Hey Arnold. His friends peer pressure him to hit Arthur. So, Binky didn't want to do it, because it's like, dude, Arthur didn't do anything to me. I don't want to hit him. I don't want to just randomly hit the kid. But he got peer pressured, and he hit Arthur the same way Arthur hit D.W. What do the parents do? Parents basically tell Arthur, well, maybe that's what D.W. felt. There's other things, but that's the episode. Now, this episode was heavily panned by everybody, and every time you see this clip on YouTube, everybody will sit there and say that D.W., that, that this was a terrible episode with terrible messaging. Everybody will tell you that DW deserved to get hit. I don't think she did. She's a four-year-old child, whatever. But as I described, the whole episode is DW doing something wrong and not only not taking responsibility and not apologizing, but blaming Arthur for her wrongdoing. And then the parents not reprimanding her and blaming Arthur for doing what he did, which he should be blamed. He was wrong, but they didn't reprimand DW. I say this because Arthur's a revered show. Could you imagine after they got heat for this episode that sends very bad messaging, very poor parenting uh, ideologies, very poor, uh, very poor mixed messages to the audience at home saying that regardless of how somebody may treat you, even if it's very poorly, even if they may be a little young, you have to take the brunt of it and be the bigger person at the end of the day. Could you imagine if they took that and doubled down on it every other episode after that? That's what we're getting with Disney. Yep. Every fucking time. Or all these movies. Every time when the people vote with their wallet and say, we're not going to go and see these movies, they just double down. It's ridiculous. Well, to put a bow tie on this whole Marvel thing, sources say that they have been in talks to bring back the original gang for an Avengers movie. This would include reviving Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, both of whom were killed off in Endgame. And how do you suppose they're going to bring them back? Isn't I did see the first Iron Man in theaters when it came out, but I saw it in theaters and never saw it again. As far as I know, Iron Man's not immortal, is he? He's not. He's dead. Dead. Oh, like Batista? Iron Man's dead. Yeah, and now rumors is claiming that Robert Downey Jr. is coming back. For those that are wondering, Downey's salary for playing Iron Man was like $25 million. Is Disney willing to spend crazy amount of money to bring these two back? And Scarlett Johansson has said that she has no interest in ever coming back to these movies. Now, of course, money talks. Yeah, but don't they owe a lot of money to other places? Like, don't they owe money to Hulu? Yeah, they gotta spend eight billion. They gotta spend eight billion to buy off the uh, Hulu, to buy off the Com- Comcast Universal shares. So it's like, where's this money? Like, and this is just for a one-off movie. This is—he's not gonna stay around forever. This is just for one movie. Is it worth it? And that's if he wants to do it. And rumor has it he wants to do it, or that, that he's agreed to do it. 
Right. Luckily, he, it's rumored that he's agreeing to doing it. But there are some people who don't give a shit about money. Like, remember when Moxley left WWE? He said, even if they offered me $10 million to stay, what the fuck am I going to do with $10 million? I already paid off my home. I paid off my mother's home. I've already paid off my car. I literally am a minimalist at life. I don't like fancy cars and all that stuff. I don't live in a mansion. I've got my wife. I've got my daughter. What am I going to do with $10 million? It's just going to sit there. There's just some people who money's not going to sway them. Sometimes people are artists. And yeah, in some cases, I guess money does talk. But you're just lucky that Robert Downey Jr., it sounds like, is willing to do it. But what if he didn't want to? What if he kept saying no? There were years where Shawn Michaels, who had retired in 2010, there were plenty of opportunities. WWE wanted him to come back for like a one-off match, and he just kept saying no. He did eventually do one match in 2018. That's because he was getting paid like three to five million dollars just for that one match. And it was a one-off. He did entertain the idea if he did come back, he would do a one-off just to have fun with his friends. There were plenty of times they wanted him back to wrestle Daniel Bryan, wrestle uh, Seth Rollins, and this guy. And he, every single time, he kept saying, no, no, no. My integrity's not going to allow it. So, and, and I'm sure they offered him a lot of money. I'm sure they weren't going to pay him pennies. Some people were just not sweet like that. It's not, it's not about the money to some people. Yeah, and for the, and the fact that they want down and back just really shows you the state that they're in. It's, it's not a good years. Wokeness has almost destroyed the entire brand. Yeah, it's it's really bad for Disney. It was kind of like I don't know, like what would have been worse? Them catering to this what what was that company called that's forcing them to put, be woke this EGA uh, score? ESG, BlackRock, whatever they are. They're ESG, over- BlackRock. They'd rather fucking suck their nuts off or or their pussies off or whatever genitals they have or what they identify as. I don't fucking know. They'd rather suck that off and destroy their brand, making it irreparable than getting a quote-unquote bad credit score from them but keeping some sort of image intact and being able to still make money off of these movies. Yeah, I mean, look what they're fucking doing with poor Blade. I mean, they want to sacrifice Blade to the fucking message. God damn. It's like, imagine sacrificing some of the classics. Like, could you imagine if Disney would have gotten a hold of, like, let's say, Beavis and Butthead and made them woke? I'm so glad Mike Judge never sold them. They would introduce a sister. A sister or one of them would become trans. And it wouldn't be like trans to be funny. It would be trans to send a message. They want representation. But that's all the Disney stuff I got. Let's talk about Spiral. Yeah. Spiral is a film that came out in 2021. Directed by Darren Lynn Bossman, who is his first Saw movie. He's directed since Saw 4. It stars Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson. Made on a budget of $20 million. And made back a little over 40. Now, in the film's defense, this this did come out in the middle of the unspecified virus of unknown origin. Yeah. May of 2021. And this was before Slapgate. 
You know, before we get to the movie, I am a little upset that uh, when Chris Rock did get slapped by Will Smith, he didn't react like that Indian guy on the game show where after he got slapped, he didn't go, how can you slap? How can you slap? I'm a little disappointed. Well, maybe if Jada would have slapped him, he probably would have said that. Well, he would have to slap her back. Oh, yeah. And then, oh, that would have gotten ugly. Oh, yeah. But as Chris Rock said in his comedy special, he was raised by parents. So, <laughs> and and his parents always told him, never fight in front of white people. I've always wanted to say this. Travis, you kind of do look like Chris Rock a little bit. What? You do look like Chris Rock. And my wife off camera, she's what smiling. and She's kind of like agreeing with me with that laugh. No, no. What? No. She's kind of, she's kind of agreeing. She's holding it in. Never in my life have I ever, has anyone ever told me I look like Chris Rock. Well, here's your first. That is un... No. Well, for like 30, well, like 20 some odd years, I never was told that I looked like Justin Long. And then, lo and behold, some English fuck from fucking North Wales or whatever the fuck he's from decided to make that jest. So, Chris Rock. This was written by the same two writers who wrote the previous film, Jigsaw. And, and Chris Rock did do some rewrites. Most notably, he rewrote his opening scene talking about Forrest Gump. Yeah, so I'll give the film this. It tried to feel a lot different than all the other Saw films. Because up until this point, from Saw 1 to Jigsaw, Saw 1 was the only one that felt unique. The rest of them felt pretty much the same. Like the way it flowed. Saw one was the only one that flowed way differently because it was James Wan's like real first outing in this. And I think it was like a limited budget and all that. And then once you started getting other directors and other people involved, they pretty much just followed the same formula for two, three, four, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And even Jigsaw, it was just like the same formula. It, was, it, it did feel like a Saw film. It was a pointless Saw film, but it felt like a Saw film. Spiral did feel unique in a way but that's not to say it was great it was okay that's how that's how far i'll go with this yeah so apparently the creation of this film was that chris rock wanted to be in a saw film he was a fan of the franchise and his studio said okay and i guess that was his pitch i want to be in a saw movie which is interesting because if you know Chris Rock, he's known for comedy. He basically got his big break in stand-up comedy. He's mo mostly known for comedy. So this was his dive into serious films. And I, I, mean, guess, I guess we'll get to how he did as a performance in the end, I guess, if you want to go over the... Yeah, all right. So I'll do my best. You want to play so... games, motherfucker? Yeah, exactly. So the film starts off during a 4th of July parade. There's a off-duty police officer named Marv who's chasing some sort of guy in a Uncle Sam costume, I guess. And when he's chasing him, he's chasing him down this pipe that's rigged with fireworks to kind of like hold him off so the guy gets away. I don't know if the same guy was the same guy that eventually became Spiral. We'll, we'll get to that. But it seemed like he played no role other than to just lure this Marv guy into his eventual trap so marv goes down this pipe and then eventually he gets entrapped 
into this device that's holding his tongue. Now, let me preface this. There's two things I should preface. So every trap that the movie would start off with, either the actual doll itself or a video of the doll would pop up. The, the famous Jigsaw doll that we all know and are familiar with. Instead, it wasn't the doll. In fact, I don't think the image of the doll ever appeared in this film. Um, that's first off. And second off, Tobin Bell is not in this film other than still images from like photographs. Yeah, no, He's not no in Tobin Bell. No Tobin Bell at all. So the thing that appears is actually the pig creature that we would always see when the pig would capture its subject to knock him out and put him in the trap. And instead of the Tobin Bell voice, it's like more of a female high-pitched voice, not too high-pitched. So this person is saying, I want to play a game. And every single time they would start off with, I want to play a game. I want to preface this by saying that Tobin Bell as Jigsaw, yes, that is a famous quote of his, but not every single trap that he puts he said i want to play a game it just got overplayed in this movie with the i want to play a game i want to play a game i want to play a game <laughs> it sounded like the fucking munchkins like follow the yellow brick road oh the yellow brick like fuck off anyway <laughs> so the, the trap that he's in he's got his tongue trapped and the basic gist is is that um the train is coming the three train is coming and the only way that he can get himself out is if, because uh, he's standing on like a, a platform and he has to kick off it and let his tongue get ripped out. And his punishment is because he's a cop that ratted on a bunch of people, innocent people, and got themselves locked up. So in the midst of that, he's trying to get out of the device without ripping his tongue, but then he sees the train and then eventually he kicks the seat out and it rips his tongue out but it's too late the train ran him over killed him then as you said we get to chris rock's character he's with the uh, three bank robbers i guess they're getting ready to not bank they're not robbing a bank they're robbing a bunch of people in a hotel room that's got a bunch of money and a bunch of drugs and his name is zeke yeah and the conversation is literally him just talking about forrest gump and how he's not supposed to be called I'm about to use some politically incorrect terms here, ladies and gentlemen. We can't call him retarded. We can't call him slow. We have to call him special needs or special or whatever the hell it was. And then they talked about how fucking Jenny, pretty much he was talking the same exact talking point as everybody has said about Forrest Gump and the biggest criticism, which is Jenny is an, a, a complete and order to see you next Tuesday because here comes Forrest Gump, this really nice guy who always took care of her and only wanted to be with Forrest Gump after she got ran through by a bunch of people and got AIDS. So they they have this discussion and then eventually they commit the robbery. And as they're hopping in the car to escape, the cops are right there. But it's established that Chris Rock's character, Zeke, was actually an undercover cop. So we see them in the station and apparently he did this without the knowledge of the police station and they're very upset with him. And he gets into an argument with them because he's like, I can't trust anybody here. And the character, Captain Angie Garza, decides to give Zeke a, a partner for their next upcoming case, 
who is uh, Marv, Marv Boswick. Now, the reason that Zeke can't trust anybody is because when he first got onto the force, one of his partners was a cop that killed an innocent man. He shot the guy and tried to frame the guy as if he was acting in self-defense. But Zeke knew that this guy was full of shit and reported him and got him, I think it was, what, nine years in prison and was not allowed to practice police anymore. He couldn't be a police officer anymore. Yeah, he couldn't so, practice law, yeah. We eventually find out later that he became a pastor to re- for people to repent, but we'll get to that. So anyways... We get to the scene of the crime, the guy with the cut, tongue cut out. And we come to find out that that was a partner of Zeke's. And he was very upset by it. We also find out that Zeke's father was a part of the force as well, Marcus Banks. And there's actually a scene where those two interacted with each other about dinner. <laughs> there's like one part where he's like, uh, I haven't eaten dinner with you for fucking one year, one whole year. What, you want me to call you a pizza motherfucker? <laughs> I thought this was great. They should have had more scenes together like this. Yeah, I think I think this is where the rewrite came in. <laughs> yeah. Samuel L. Jackson and Curse Rock needed to have more scenes together. But yeah, the more you start to unravel, the more you start to realize that a lot of the police informants are really crooked people. Um... There was another guy on the force. What was the guy's name? He gets Zeke actually gets into an argument with this guy after uh, realizing that his partner was killed. Was it Fitch? I think it was his name. I think it was Fitch. So the thing with Fitch is there was one point where Zeke was shot in the back because he called for backup while trying to apprehend a, a fugitive. And the guy just said, fuck him, let leave him. And it got so bad that his father, who was still on the force at that point, Marcus Banks, he chewed their asses out completely for not coming to his aid because he called like three times for backup and nobody bothered to show up. So he, he was terribly mad at them. Eventually, Fitch actually gets apprehended and he gets put into a trap with his fingers because he's getting punished. I think it was for that crime, for not helping. Was it for that crime, for not helping Zeke? It was for other crimes as well. Right. So his trap is, he's in like a sewer and he's got his fingers in this weird device. Yeah, he's like in his little tank of sorts, yeah. Yeah, meanwhile there's like a little wire and it's going to fill up with water. And he has to stop. He has to let his fingers get completely ripped off. Otherwise, if it fills up with water, he'll just get electrocuted. And that's eventually what happens. His fingers do get ripped off, but then he gets electrocuted anyways. I know the director was upset with this scene because it showed more of like his knuckles coming off and everything. But the uh, MPAA did a lot of edits. Mm. And it really turned out the way he wanted it to turn out. So he was pretty upset about that. The MPAA can be very weird with what they want in their movies and stuff like that. It's kind of weird. Some of the stuff that I've seen in, in movies that get released, I'm wondering, how did this get past the MPAA? And then there's certain things that you hear. I think Mike Judge even said when he was doing Beavis and Butthead, 
they said that he was allowed to allude to the fact that Beavis and Butthead were about to be butt-raped by a fucking convicted murderer, but they weren't allowed to show an up-close shot of Beavis stepping on a bunk. Yeah. Weird, but anyways. Weird. Weird. As this goes on, there's a lot of other things. Uh, eventually, he sees a skeleton, and it has the tattoo of Charlie, which was... Uh, Marv Boswick's tattoo because earlier in the film there was a point where he uh, wanted he told him to spend time with his family because he showed a picture of his son and his wife this and the other and there was actually a phone call where his baby was crying and he said that his wife was uh, out somewhere with girls night and Zeke tried to give him husband or marriage advice that girls night out is not a good thing because he got divorced blah 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 I'm just going to say it right now I'll just spill it. The second I saw this scene, I knew that Boswick was Jigsaw. I see that because at least with the other two individuals that were killed, they showed flashbacks or they showed the scene of them being in the trap and trying to escape. Here, it was just, he got skinned alive and they didn't show Jigsaw putting him in the trap. I'm like, oh, so it's clear as day Boswick is Jigsaw. Yeah. Yeah, I figure that too. Cause this is my second viewing of the movie. I figured yeah. that was my moment where I said, yep, he's the guy. He's the jigsaw killer, spiral, whatever the hell his name is. So it, it was clear as day that this person has got a vendetta. Actually, before all that happened, Zeke does visit the guy that he convicted for the crime that he committed, where he killed somebody in self-defense, quote unquote. And he says that he was only following, what was it called, Section 8? That yeah. was the new, the new policy. That's important. So anyways, this new Jigsaw's taunting them. He's using like a pig statue with a police uh, uniform, this and the other. And there's one point where Angie Garza is going to go to the cold case files because he was told she was told to go to the cold case files for him. And there was a letter that said that... Uh, something about you will lose your head and he thought it, he meant his physical head but what the letter meant was the head of the department which was angie at that point because she's the captain and all i should also make mention while all this is going on marcus is completely missing nobody knows what happened to him he's just like zeke hasn't been able to get in contact with marcus at all his dad he's been trying to get in contact with him for days so anyways Angie's going downstairs to the cold case files room and she can't see what's going on and eventually she's entrapped into the cold case files room and her trap is it's kind of like waterboarding in a way but with like some sort of weird acid so her trap is is that she's going to get smothered with this stuff but her way out is she's got to paralyze herself from the neck what was her crime again? I can't remember. I was a little confused by the way. What did she do? Oh, I think I think she covered up. She covered up for, to protect some officers or some shit. Yeah. So she's like the, she's like the chief of police. So predictably enough, even though Chris Rock or Zeke knew that she was in trouble, he took his damn sweet time to get down there. He wasn't running. He was like just walking. And as soon as he walks, uh, yeah. Goes right into the room, and of course she's dead. Big fucking surprise. 
And at some point, he's fucking losing it. And then eventually, the jigsaw literally uh, kidnaps him, blah, blah, blah. Because he tried to find the pastor and he was missing. His dad's missing. And eventually, Jigsaw gets him. And then they show a flashback of Marcus Samuel Jackson when he was going into a building with a gun and showing how he got captured. That's what he said in the line. You want to play games? <laughs> you want to play games, motherfucker? So anyways, Zeke wakes up. He's handcuffed to a pole, and there's two objects. There's a the saw, the same saw that Lawrence Gordon cut his foot off with, and, and then there's like a weird uh, paperclip, and he escapes from the handcuff. I just want to bring this up because, yes, Tobin Bell's character has been referenced because they said, oh, this is like Jigsaw, this and the other. But he's been gone for 12 years. So we know this is after the events of the Saw films. Still no mention of Hoffman. Still no mention of Lawrence Gordon. There is no Lawrence Gordon. Like, what the fuck happened to these characters? Not just that. No mention of the idiot from the last movie, too. Jesus fucking Christ. Like, at least reference them, even if they're not going to be in the movie. So he gets out, and that pastor is now on his trap. He's tied up, and his trap was pretty unique. It took me a second to understand what his trap was. What his trap was is there's a conveyor belt with a bunch of glass bottles, and they're going to spill it into this, like, grinder, and the grinder is going to break the bottles, and then the bottle glass shards are going to shoot at him. And Zeke has the opportunity to either free him or just let him get eviscerated with all the shards. And eventually Zeke tries to get him out and like everybody else, he failed to get him out. He's dead. So then he finally sees that Boswick, the guy that was supposed to be his partner, is Jigsaw. Surprise, surprise to the rounding sound of nobody. What the twist? What a fucking twist. Only fucking M. Night Shyamalan couldn't see that coming. So... His reason for being Jigsaw is, is that the guy that the cop shot was his dad. And this incident happened when he was 12. So he was looking to make this plan happen. He had to work his ass off to be the assistant for Zeke so that he can get close to him and to the police force and be able to do this. Now, remember Section 8? Apparently, Section 8 was created, and it was a rule for police officers to do anything necessary to clean up crime, even if it was crooked. Because even though crime was cleaned up and everything was better, the crops, the crops, the cops became much more dirtier in practice. So, this was his final test. Samuel Jackson, his father, Marcus, is, like, attached to these things. And there's blood coming out. And he has about four minutes, because the cops were also on their way. And he gave him a gun with only one bullet in it. And he had a choice. He can either shoot Boswick and kill him, and everybody loses. Or he could shoot the target, releasing Marcus, and then they all be saved. <clears throat> so it's a battle in Zeke's uh, psyche. Zeke does shoot the target, but keep in mind, Marcus was actually telling him, shoot that motherfucker. Shoot that piece of shit. But he shoots the target, it releases Samuel Jackson. Now keep in mind, 
there is this cord that's going across this door. Now, while Zeke had released Marcus, Zeke and and Boswick, the new Jigsaw, as, as he's going to the elevator, Zeke goes after him and beats the shit out of him. Now, the cops are coming in and they break it down with a chainsaw, which also hits that wire, which then sends Marcus up on this little thing and makes it seem like he's lifting up a gun and that causes the police to shoot at him and, and killing him. Meanwhile, Zeke runs out of the little elevator after the whole shootout happens. He's going crazy, like, in emotions. And then the new Jigsaw just, like, puts his finger up to his mouth, like, shh, and then just goes away. And then that's how the movie ends. And the same gesture that Chris Rock did when he saw him as a 12-year-old. <clears throat> that is Spiral uh, from the Book of Saw. I don't know. I mean, I, I I applaud them for doing something a little different. It had a different vibe to it. The only thing that was reminiscent to the whole thing of Saw was they did reference Jigsaw. They did reference Tobin Bell with his photos. And they had the famous Saw theme at the very end. Everything else, it just felt like its own film. So I, I give them credit. They tried to do something different. I've always been a fan of Chris Rock. I've always loved his work as a comedian. He's always made me laugh. I think he was fine. As an actor, he's good. So a lot of he people was, thought that he was miscasted here. Where did they think he was miscasted as? They, like, just would, didn't, buy, they didn't buy him as a tough guy. As well, a, as not. a no nonsense cop. Well, clear as day after the Will Smith slapping incident, it's clear as day. He's more of a reserved person. He's he's obviously got morals and he can com keep his composure. He is a professional. I thought he was fine. He wasn't terrible. But maybe that's speaking from somebody who's liked his work. And the film itself, though, is it's I, I don't know where I would rate this. Would you say, it would, is it at least better than Jigsaw, the previous? Yes. It's definitely better than Jigsaw, only because Jigsaw just felt like a rehashing of the rest of the films and had no purpose whatsoever. This, in my opinion, was better than Jigsaw. That's just my opinion. I don't know where you stand on that. Um, I, In a sense, I, I, I would say that. I mean, this film, it had Chris Rock. Could you have gotten a better actor to play that role? Most likely, yes. Um... I wasn't bothered by Chris Rock in this film. I mean, it is different from what he usually does. Obviously, he's a stand-up comedian. So it's very rare when you see him doing drama. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, I do agree. He needed more scenes with Samuel Jackson. I, <laughs> they're, they're just great together. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if you went up to Sam and said, Yo, Sam, want to do a Saw movie? All right. Yeah. I would have been hella impressed with it, but... Unfortunately, <laughs> they didn't really get much together, at least not much funny stuff. I, I'm certain, has there been a movie with them two together? Um, I can't think off the top of my head. I want to say yes, but probably not. Because they need to be together for a movie, and it has to be just a two-hour film of them two fucking arguing, because it would be the greatest they movie. They do a buddy cop together. I would love that, because didn't Samuel L. Jackson do one with Bernie Mac before he passed? Uh, uh, it was not a buddy cop movie. They, they did do a movie together. Yeah, I think it's called 
Soul Man or something. They played Soul like Man, Soul yeah. Just whatever. Just them two arguing. It would be great. And it's like petty arguments. It'd be great. Sam, Sam is great when he's working off like a, an established black comedian. You could get good yeah. stuff out of that. Well, Samuel Jackson himself is great. Well, he was great with uh, John Travolta. Travolta too. Yeah, he's yeah he's always great with that. Even I loved him and Bruce Willis together in um, Die Hard Three. Yeah, Samuel Jackson's very good with a, a, another person to bounce off of. He just needs that one person to bounce off of to to ridicule. Like even that small uh, interaction with him and Eddie Murphy and coming to America was great. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah, all in all, this film I, I for being different, but it it wasn't a home run. It was more like a possible home run, but it just entered into foul ball territory. I yeah, I applaud for being different. I think the big, I guess, wrench for me would be, I guess, the twist. Look at this guy. I'm like, ah, I wasn't invested in his in his story enough to like. I, I guess for us to sympathize with him, I, I don't know what they were trying to go for there. Not just that, but when he was revealed as the Jigsaw, he did a horrible job of being intimidating and being Jigsaw. He was just like, he's just a guy. Ex- yeah, his execution in the lines. That's the one thing I'll give the Jigsaw film. The guy who was revealed to be Jigsaw was a better Jigsaw than this guy. But, yeah, would agree with that. I don't know, man. Like literally. Here's what I have to say. Obviously, Tobin Bell's the best Jigsaw. And I know I criticized Matt Hoffman, the Matt Hoffman character, for being not as good of a Jigsaw. But at this point, with everything that has gone on with these films, or Mark, I keep saying Matt, it's Mark Hoffman. With all these being said, I'd rather have Mark Hoffman than these two fucking jabronis that we've got. Especially since in Jigsaw, that that new Jigsaw that we got, he never came back. He didn't come back for Spiral. He wasn't referenced. Nope. No no one from the previous Saw movies are referenced in this. This was literally its own thing. With the exception of referencing uh, Jigsaw, and that was really it. In in fact, I owe an apology to, uh, I'm going to butcher his fucking name right now, but Costas Man Dialer? Man Dialer? Am I pronouncing that right? Uh, Probably not. That's the guy who plays Mark Hoffman in the Soften. Mm-hmm. To me, I, I would take him in a heartbeat over these motherfuckers. At least he looks intimidating. He has that, and he has that appearance of an intimidating motherfucker. But to me, Jigsaw doesn't need to be intimidating. He just needs to be like Tobin Bell, a normal guy, normal looking guy that's just very smart. But and that's, and that's another thing. At the end, you know, of all this, this. It just doesn't work without Tobin Bell. Yeah. He's got to be present somewhere. And I guess they rectified it in Saw 10. Well, yeah, because they say Saw 10 is a direct sequel to the first Saw movie. At least that's what I read. Saw is probably going to drop on Peacock. Ah, what? When? Let's just say after the holidays. Then, okay, because I'm reading... A, I was about to ask you, does it retcon everything? But it says here, no, it's a sequel to Saw 1 and a prequel to Saw 2 so it's in between those two movies so that's forgivable that's good so I, I would assume Tobin Bell is going to get a lot of screen time in that yeah unfortunately uh, when I'm looking at the 
Oh yeah, okay. I'm looking at the cast and Hoffman is in there. He was supposed to be the surprise cameo, I believe. Gotcha. And Shawnee Smith, who played Amanda Young, comes back, obviously. It's it's clear as day these were cash grabs at this point, because the Soul franchise definitely makes money. Yeah, uh, we really can't. It's hard to really, I guess, judge how much money this would have made had the unspecified virus of unknown origin uh, not been around. Yeah, so I can't. This is a hit or a miss, but it just. But for the most part, from the reviews I'm reading on IMDb, a lot of people were not impressed with this movie. Yeah, I could see that because it was it was okay. But like I said. The things that hurt it was they did a horrible job in making me swerve that this was Jigsaw because I knew right away who it was. And the guy who it was wasn't good enough to be Jigsaw, in my opinion. Yeah, and in the end, he survived, so who knows if they're ever going to follow up on that. Yeah, because the next Saw, which is Saw 10, you would think it's the 10th film, but it's actually a prequel. It's yeah, really Saw, Saw 1.5. Literally, yeah, it is 1.5. So, and I heard from a lot of people that was probably one of the best Saw movies. Well, got yeah. really good reviews. Well, and, it's, and it's written by the same two guys who did this movie. Well, because it was written, uh, Tobin Bell is in it. Yeah. And you're so, guaranteed to get a good performance from Tobin Bell. And got, Tobin Bell's got to at least be 80 by this point. He's 81. I mean, wow, he was 80 doing this film. That means he was 60 when he probably did the first one. Uh, yeah, roughly 60, 62 is he would have been because that movie came out in 2004. Wow, almost 20, 20 years of Saw. It's amazing to think. I can't believe we actually we went through the the entire Saw franchise, you know, not counting the 10th one. We made it. We did it. I, I'm absolutely shocked. Well, the only other franchise we covered every movie of was Halloween. It was Halloween and uh, Resident Evil. Oh wow! You have to remind me of that. Wow! 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 We. Yeah. Yowie! Yowie! Did you say Mortal Kombat as a franchise as well? Well, we still got that Johnny Cage one. We got Johnny Cage one, and whenever they release part two, whenever this after strike ends. So I guess we'll be tackling Five Nights at Freddy's next. We did say that was going to be our last episode, but then I got Hulu. I saw Spiral. Said, "Fuck it, let's just get this part nine in." Yeah. And it was my it was my first viewing, so yeah, the first viewing of Spiral, and you can now say you've seen all the Saw movies up to well, as soon as whenever ten drops, we'll get to that. Yeah, woohoo! Wow, we woohoo! Yes. So, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? Uh, your uh, thumbs up or down for this one? Recommend? Thumbs in the middle. I give it credit for being different. But there's a bunch of misses along with a bunch of hits. Would you watch this one again? If it was just on, would yeah. you watch it again? Yeah, I would I would give it another chance. Yeah, my thumbs are in, I guess in the middle, slightly down, but not too far down. I would recommend it if you if you are a soft fan, you want to see where this one goes, sure, why not? I mean at the end of the day it's harmless. Yeah. So uh, that uh, that's gonna wrap this one up. So if you want to continue playing games, motherfucker, check out Saw Nine. It is on Hulu, 
And I know Shudder just put up the first seven Saw movies on there. If you guys want to start from the beginning, work your way up. And that's going to do it for this episode. From Anoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. Uh, Disney, get your shit together. Yeah, no more games. Don't be like Saw. <laughs>